this is their hostage, Genesis Briar Piorich. <laughs> final decade of the 21st century, men and women in rocket ships landed on the moon. By 2200 AD, they had reached the other planets of our solar system. Almost at once, there followed the discovery of Kuiper Drive, through which the speed of light was first attained and later greatly surpassed. And so at last, mankind began the conquest and colonization of deep space. United Planets Cruiser C-57D, now more than a year out from Earth base on a special mission to the planetary system of the great main sequence star WCBM-FM, Anaba. WCBM-FM, Ann Arbor. Radio. Cheese. Alternativa. Monkey. Grassroots. Anarchy. Freeform. Every experience is a learning experience, including LSD. There's no such thing as a flashback, Danny. You need to get a job so that you can curb this freeform anxiety of yours. WCBN FM Ann Alba. It's freeform! 88.3 on your toasta!
This is Jad Fair from Half Japanese, and you're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. This is Professor Gus Everard, the first computational cosmologist at the University of Michigan. Whenever I'm off in the 10th dimension of my synthetic multiverse, I like to tunnel through the cosmic interwebs to stream awesome freeform from WCBMFM, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Way above the clouds Help me, I think I'm falling Aren't that many cowboys these days? Not real ones like Twin home to us This is Hunhurtu from Tuva. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Something in your eyes Is everything alright? You look up to the sky You long for something more Darling Give me your right hand I think I understand Follow me and you will never have to wish again I know that after tonight You don't have to look about the stars No, 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 I know By the end of tonight You don't have to look about the stars And I know if the love is alright You don't have to look about the stars No, 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 I know But again, that tonight you don't have to look about the stars. No, 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 no. Tell me how you feel. And if I'm getting near, I'll tell you where to stay. You tell me where to stay here. Tied up to darling. Way above the clouds And high above the stars Through the unknown black holes No one knows where we are But we'll return 
something worth and do it all over again Cause I know that after tonight You don't have to talk about the stars No, 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 I know But again tonight You don't have to talk about the stars And I know if the love is alright You don't have to talk about the stars No, 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 I know But again tonight You don't have to talk about the stars But come away with me Come fly away For one night, no one will ever know, no, no, no Darling, I will leave you satisfied Forever past time You don't have to hide, you're free to fly That after tonight you don't have to look about the stars no 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 I know but again tonight Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Um, today, I'm so happy to have in the studio with me Terry McMillan. Terry, Hi. welcome. Thank you. Hi. How are you? I'm, go- I'm doing all the better for seeing you. Oh, stuff. So glad Michelle brought you here safely from the airport. You're in town. You're going to be... Well, we're taping this show. It's October 1st, 2013. A pinch and a punch the first day of the month. No returns. Rabbits. Do you know that saying, Terry? <laughs> I, Do you know? I, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yes. Um, anyway, that was for my mom. Just going to send that shout out to mom out there listening. Um, but Terry, you're touring. You're doing a massive book tour. You're in the middle of it right now mm-hmm. for your eighth novel. Mm-hmm. Who asked you? Mm-hmm. Um, how are you holding up now that you're in the middle of it? Is it going well? Is it... I'm holding up. You know, <laughs> I, I just try to make sure that I take advantage of a block of hours and today, this flight was late for an hour, and it cut into my time. That's the worst. because you know, I think uh, yeah. at 5.45, I have to be somewhere. I think you're going to be at the Detroit Public yeah, Library. Yeah, Detroit Public Library. Yeah. So, isn't it 1 o'clock? <laughs> tick-tock, tick-tock. Let's get going with this, shall we? We're going to... We're just going to... We're gonna go. I'm gonna read your short bio. Okay. Um, set out, sent out with the press Terry materials. Terry McMillan is a novelist. She, End of she, bio. <laughs> Terry is rolling her eyes. I want to uh, read the first line though. I'm just messing with you. I, I, I like that. I like that. Okay. Terry McMillan fell in love with books as a teenager while working at the local library at Port Huron, Michigan. See, this was important, Terry. We had to get to this. Terry's zoned out. Not listening not to her own out, bio. <laughs> but I already know this stuff. <laughs> but, you know, I, don't you think people will be excited to know that you, you grew up here? Yeah, and you grew oh, up yeah, here. Oh, yeah, I'm from Michigan. I'm yeah. from Fort Huron. <laughs> yeah, yes. part of the thumb, right? Yes. Yeah. Do you still do that? Do you ever have cause to hold up your hand and say, well, this is where I was born? No. Like, I've oh. never done that before. <laughs> oh, you ha- oh. No, but uh, it's surprised, surprising to me how many people... 20 years ago, 15 years ago, I didn't know anyone who knew where Port Huron was, had ever heard of it. And now you say Port Huron, it's like, oh, yeah, my parents used to, or, oh, yeah, I've been there. Really? Um, maybe it's maybe it's because after they, everyone heard it was your no, birthplace. No, it wasn't about <laughs> me. It, wasn't, it had nothing to do with me. Huh. Well, then maybe that's hopeful for Michigan, then. Like, we, yeah. we need more we need, need, like yes, recognition. We need people, yeah, we need a lot. We don't want to go there. No. No. <laughs> okay. Well, 
I'm looking at the bio. What I'll just say is, well, let's talk about your latest novel because you know what? You're wonderful. You you wrote some books, Waiting to Exhale, right? How Stella Got Her Groove Back, Getting to Happy. Mm-hmm. That's a great title because it's not like you're there yet. Like, you know, or the, the, the story isn't there yet, or, or so. And, and Who Asked You? Wonderful title. I like that title. <laughs> Gifted with titles, Terry well, McMillan. I don't know about that, but <laughs> I like I like who asked you. And at first I was hesitant. Um, but my my agent said, Terry, I love it. Because it's what I meant. Um In the whole book, right? That as the tone of the Yeah. The Yeah. Or wait, what do you mean by what it's what I meant? When you It's said, what I meant. It's you know, part of the story deals with people who are always offering unsolicited advice and also when they fail to turn that same lens on themselves they don't they don't they aren't as critical or self-critical or they don't scrutinize their own behavior as quickly as they are uh inclined to do some to someone else even though sometimes it comes under the guise of love Mm. and so some of them mean well some of them don't. You have to know who to listen to and who to ignore. And what's interesting is you give a like the reader a chance to listen to everybody. Oh yeah, because <laughs> everybody. Do they ever? <laughs> well, that's what's interesting too, because everybody gets it's a, a series of how the novels, you know, the the parts you, you everybody gets a chapter. It's it, it moves from moves from character to character, mm-hmm. so you're within someone's mind, within their voice, and how they're responding to other people, and so they really get a chance to. I guess show their flaws as well as some of what makes them. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that's that's the that to me that's the beauty of writing in first person. Um, the characters you get to see them three dimensionally, and they do have flaws. All of us do. I don't know anybody who doesn't. But um, they you as the as the writer writing in third person, third person omniscient, mm. which I don't like. I never hardly ever write in third person. Is it too distancing? It's too distant. Yeah. I don't mind third person personal, which I call a sneaky backdoor way of writing in first person. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's I don't want to say it's boring, but most writers that write in third person, their language is a lot loftier and prettier. Well, Well, you're really focused on dialogue. It seems like that's what's moving. Yeah, my char- yeah. my <laughs> stories are, are character and dial- dialogue driven and plotless. No, you okay. I don't qualify f- that, please. Because <laughs> well, to me, I think, what haven't you covered in this, like the time that um, Who Asked You takes, right? We're going through, you, you, there's September 11th, there's Katrina, there's the Yeah, but Obama that's still not presidency. a plot. That's not a plot. But, well, well, all the characters' lives. But still, I mean, uh, for, from, from my money, I think of a plot, a story with a plot is... Oops. It's okay. A story with a plot is... A character is trying to achieve something, and something is preventing them from achieving it. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, they either achieve it, 
nine times out of ten, um, just like a bad movie. Um, but this is like these are character studies then, where we see how people. Um, I don't know the tension. No, I don't see. I see it as a slice of life. Well, that's really how I see it. That I create these characters based on a scenario that I've already envisioned in my head. And in this case, it's twofold. One is a grandmother mm-hmm. who is sort of forced to raise her grandchildren or allow them to go to foster care. She chooses to raise them, finish raising them. The other is, like we spoke about earlier, um, is when people have something to say about how you do things. And in this case, it's Betty Jean who is the main, the protagonist. And she is making choices that some of her relatives, her, her sisters, think would be better if she did, them, did this a different way. And they have their opinions. And um, so, but to me, that's not a plot. Um, it's not a plot. It's, you know, because when, even if she, well, when she does decide to raise her grandchildren, the reasons for doing so is, to me, what makes it plotless. Because it's all, it's, it's all contingent upon a lot of different variables. Not to say that in a story with a plot, that, that, that doesn't happen. But in this case, everybody has something. Everybody plays off of each other emotionally. And so, and everybody else is trying to achieve something for the most part. So it's sort of like, how are these stories going to, going to be interwoven? And... To me, that that doesn't. There's no stake in it, as like a like a plot, like no beginning and an end. Right. It's you it's, get to a point and then you think, okay, here's a plateau. That's fine. We we've, we've sort of handled all some of this stuff. Now, the story ends, and often my readers are often like, well, what what's going to happen to them next? I'm like, well, you know, do you know what's going to happen in your future? No. Right, right. But you, you reach a certain level and you you accomplish this. And then here comes some more BS. Trouble. <laughs> There's some trouble mm. on the horizon. Well, yeah. Well, because here it seems like Betty Jean gets a chance at herself. Like it's somehow like you've you've taken her through this stretch of time. And then we see her having a chance at herself. And I hope that's not a spoiler. We'll that's... have to put a spoiler alert in there. Um no, I don't think that's a spoiler alert because you still don't know what happens at all, right? Yeah, I don't know what happens. So is Betty Jean. <laughs> I know what I hope happens for the, but I'm not going to say that. Is that for the next novel? No, honey. Is that what you're thinking? Mm-mm. No, new. No. No. I'm assuming Betty Jean will walk off into the sunset and live happily ever after. Well, she is going to Laguna Beach, right? <laughs> and in a yellow dress. Or a rose. Would you be quiet? Okay. <laughs> we can, we we don't Stop edit these it. shows. <laughs> well, so did Betty Jean's voice come to you first? Like, is that how when you're working in the process of creating the story, or, mm. 
or who's or which character? I think Betty Betty Jean obviously did. Yes, 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 because I just saw this image of this woman standing in the kitchen frying some chicken for her husband, who has got dementia. Yeah, and he's in a bedroom, and I just pictured the bedroom as being dark and dank, sort of stuffy, and. Um, when her phone rings, she's already she already sort of knows who it's pro- who it probably is, and then when she finds out it's her daughter, just the tone of her voice, um, I when she spoke, that's the voice I heard, and that's how I wrote it. Just the whole cadence, just her. The rhythm of her sentences and the language and the tone, all of it. Do, do that you, was her. Do you want to read that part, Terry? That, well, that if you moment? insist. <laughs> and I don't know if I can read don't. it without my glasses, but I might know it by heart. Um, you're making me out to be so pushy. <laughs> no, you're not pushy. Um, it's my day off and I'm in the kitchen getting ready to fry some chicken. When the phone rings and I see my daughter's name on the caller ID, I'm tempted to let it go straight to voicemail. The only reason I decide to go on and answer it is because I'm worried it might be have something to do with my grandsons. Plus, I don't trust her. Trinetta is not in the habit of calling just to ch- just to chit-chat or to check on her daddy. She always wants something. Her life is one continuous emergency. And since I've got flour all over my hands, I wiped them on my red apron, pick up the portable, and tiptoe into the living room because the last thing I want to do is wake up Lee David. Thanks, Terry. Don't mention it. That was great. <laughs> and so that's literally, that's the first scene that somehow when you were, and are you, what's your writing process like? Are you are you pretty diligent like about sitting? S- <laughs> um, <laughs> We've got one minute. One minute to talk about your writing process. I get up early in the morning. I thought I could see a halo. (laughs) I wake up usually at the crack of dawn when it's quiet everywhere. Um, And I just sit there and I listen to what these people have to say to me, what they're going to do today. And then I just write it down. Let's take a short break. Okie dokie. And we'll be right back with Terry McMillan here <laughs> um, with her latest novel, Who Asked You? I'm T. Hetzel. You've got living writers. We've got text engineering. Terry McMillan here. We'll be back.
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. Terry McMillan is here. Um, so, Terry, tell us a little bit about that song we just heard, because you picked all the songs for today's show. Budapest Calling by Gelka. Um, you know, sometimes on Twitter, because I'm on Twitter, not a lot, but I, I do tweet often. And it's on your website. Too. What? Your tweets. Oh. <laughs> but no. Um, I was, um, some nights I have these music fests alone and I just play, I just pick songs that I love and I just party or I just, I'm just mellow. And so sometimes I'll tell people, my followers, what I'm listening to. And then sometimes a lot of music they have never heard of, or in some cases they have. And one one night, some guy says to me, listen to this. And it was Gelka, Budapest Call. And the long and short of it is, it's a long story, but this guy ended up, he does a lot of things for college students to help them figure out what they want to do with their lives, and he gives talks about gives turns them on to um, fellowships. I mean, heavy duty fellowships, White House, the CIA, all all kinds of stuff. And so we ended up befriending each other, and then he started giving me these lists of songs and musicians. And that's how my repertoire grew. Yeah, you, it's so great to find a, a... And I actually met the guy. He was handsome, but far too young. And I said, you know, I robbed the cradle once, never again. <laughs> <laughs> but music, right? That was... Yeah, the, I'm serious. Yeah. Well, Terry, I have another question about who asked you. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> how many people have said that to you? How many people have said that to me? Um, no one, because I think a lot of people are scared because they, you know, you know, there are people in my family. I'm the oldest of five. And you helped raise your, with your... Well, I wouldn't say I helped raise them, but... Your website did. Huh? Your website did. It did? I didn't say that. Okay. That was yeah, somebody, my secretary. Somebody else wrote it, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean... I helped care for them when my mother was at work and feed them and comb their hair and give them baths and um, spank their butts. <laughs> Not really. Well, yeah, I did. No, I didn't. But um, now we're going to get some calls on this. Just kidding. No, I never. <laughs> no. Um, but over the years, I mean, I've, I've been very maternal. And so my younger siblings sometimes, not just them, but I also have friends who do a lot of stupid things. And so sometimes I'll say, well, you know, did you ever think of this? Or why would you do that? You know, um, if you know, you you know, I mean, there's a saying, if you keep doing the same thing you've always done, you're going to keep getting the same thing you've always gotten. So, duh. And, you know, I know sometimes when they don't call me back. Or whatever, and I can I can go off on an in an email, and I've just learned how to back off, and that was one of the reasons why I wrote this. Because plus, people rarely take your advice. I've learned that yeah. they don't take your advice, yeah. no matter how good it is, and even if they know it makes sense, some some people just don't. 
And if people don't give me a lot of advice. Is this so? Are you saying you would be open to accepting advice? No, I'm just kidding, Terry. Yeah, I mean, I have friends. I have people that do give me advice, but you know, stuff I already know. Not to say that I'm brilliant or anything like that, but it's like. Well, it is. Sometimes you do know the things yeah. that you're even the hard things. Yeah, but that, a lot of people do, but some people don't. Some people are just clueless, and I know quite a few of them. But they might see me that way, but. I don't care. I like the idea how you said, like, each of these characters, then they're turning their, their lenses on everyone else, but not themselves. Well, not all like, of them. Well, Betty Jean seems pretty balanced. Betty Jean is solid, yeah. yeah but I solid. think her sister Arlene and her sister Venetia, Venetia. is a little ditzy. Um, even her daughter Trinetta and her, her adult sons. Dexter and Quentin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It takes a while. How did these voices, like, when you had, because we, we meet Betty Jean, and then is it, do we meet Tammy next, or is it Nurse Kim? <laughs> Cause, cause I think we, we, we meet Tammy, and then we meet Nurse Kim. Okay. And then Arlene. So was there a, a reason for the, like, well, there I think there might be maybe a reason for the, for order. the ordering of how we meet these different female voices, these women's voices. Well, first of all, I think it was much more organic. It wasn't like I plotted it out. It wasn't carefully thought out. We are against plot. No, 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 it's not that. But, you know, when my characters aren't thinking, I try to be very visual. And so I just imagined, um, you know, that after... Betty Jean's daughter doesn't come to pick her kids up after the weekend like she was supposed to, that Betty Jean has to go to work. And she works at a hotel. She delivers food from room service. And so her only option was her neighbor, her girlfriend, Tammy, who happens to be white. And, um, I mean, in 2001 in Los Angeles, there were certain neighborhoods, even in the hood, where there were, it was mixed race. Of mixed races, and um, but I I knew in in before I started the novel that I mean I had done a lot of research, so I knew back in that time period that there were different ethnicities living in the same neighborhood in the in the hood, and I knew that I wanted her friend. I wanted them to be friends, and they were friends because um, a lot of people don't think that. Black people and white people are friends. They just don't. And it just gets on my nerves. Because I have a lot of white friends. And I have for years. But we don't necessarily refer to each other that way. We're just friends. Right. It's not like that. And we both know I'm black, she's white, or Chinese, or whatever. But it's not... It's understood. You know? And I can make references about being black. And vice versa, um, but is not pointed, you know. So it was important that Betty Jean had a friend who was white in this. Well, it wasn't so much important, but that's but it just, just happened to be that's the way it Because when she walked across the street to knock on the door, that's who opened the door yeah. when you were writing. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, but I, I, I sort of knew 
in advance. I mean, I had, I mean, it's sort of like you have, um, I mean, there's a, a design and I knew when this, before I wrote this, I knew that her neighbor was white. I, I knew that she had to be white. Well, because you mentioned researching, too. So, Terry, what, what does that look like? Like, did you think this is, like, this is the time in L.A. that I want to, that I feel like I'm going to start the, I feel like this is where Betty Jean lives. And this is, so I'm going to read some of the newspapers from the time, or, or how did you research? I, I talked to people who live there oh. during this time, yes. And one woman that I knew who actually co-wrote a screenplay of my last book, we wrote it together. She grew up in Los Angeles and she was telling me because I told her the story that I was interested in telling next. And then she started telling me about the neighborhood where she grew up, well, where, where she was recently living. Oh, okay. And where she had been living for at least 15 years. And how, you know, and she told me about all these different ethnicities in her neighborhood and how some, how long some of them had actually been there. And you know, so I just did a little bit more homework and I took it from there. Plus, I know people who've lived in Los Angeles and different neighborhoods. Um, well, because you moved out there from Port Huron. That was your first stop, wasn't it? L.A. I, and then Berkeley. I lived there, but I was 1969. But where I lived, it was right, right by a college campus. So um, I, I couldn't base it on that. Mm. No. Well, it was the... What well, wasn't the right time era anyway, right? I mean, I, for the time period of who asked you? That's, no, that's no, no. But in, even in terms of reference, oh, okay. Referencing, um, just trying to remember, but I, I had no idea back then because my world was just like most college students. <laughs> Your world is pretty isolated. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I I love how you seem to sort of crisscross the U.S. there for a while, like starting in Michigan, going out to California, and then north to Berkeley, and then back out to New York City. And you went to Columbia for some screenwriting, like well, back right? Is that? Do you think that's kind of why you love working with the voices and the dialogue and the novels? That's sort of a no, because I was I was actually writing fiction before I went to Columbia. Um, Did you write Mama before Columbia? No. 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 Um, but I, I took a fiction writing class at Berkeley, and I had Ishmael Reed as a professor who had told me, it's a long story, but, you know, I used to write for our college campus newspapers. There were two of them. One was a black newspaper, and the other one was just the Daily California. And so I used to write these scathing editorials. I don't know why they let me do this. But um, the long and short of it is when it was time for me to declare my major in my junior year, um, my whatever he was called, um, I was going to major in sociology, and he wanted to know why. And I said, well, why not, you know? I want to do some good in the world. And he said, but, you know, what about the, what you write? And I was shocked that he had been reading what I wrote. It was a campus newspaper. He was an adult. I didn't think, why would he waste his time reading campus news? You know what I mean? But he had, and he was very, very cognizant of the stuff that I had been writing, and I was a little embarrassed, to be honest with you. So long and short, he asked me, don't declare today. Go home and think about it for a few days, but... 
<laughs> That's for emphasis. <laughs> but and you did. You went And I did, but I ended up I ended up coming back and majoring in journalism because I didn't want to major in English. I thought it was boring. Um and then I didn't like journalism because you had to answer who, what, when, where, and why, which I also thought was boring, which is when I started lying. And I would just Fiction. make, well, I would just, I mean, we'd have to review a play or a film or something, and I would just lie and make it up. And, oh, I see. In, you the, know, in the pieces. In yeah, the I, didn't, I didn't go see the movie. I didn't go to that play the beginnings or of the creati- dance concert. Creative nonfiction with Terry yeah, McMillan. Yeah, but, but my professor believed it. And I did pretty, I did well in those classes. But, um, and then I ended up taking a class with Ishmael Reed. And he said, Terry, you have a voice. You have, you've, you've got a great voice. And at the time, I didn't quite know what, know what he meant until he, I had to ask him. Because it was basically, you know, I have a deep voice. And everybody used to think that I would call on the phone, you know, that I'm a guy. And so he had to break it down to me because he hadn't really talked about voice in class. And he said, whatever you do, don't go to any MFA programs because they will destroy it. And when did he say this, Terry? What time frame? 1977. That's interesting. 77, 76, something like that. And then I ended up going to Columbia and I, I it was their MFA program in film. Oh. oh, so you didn't. You said to Ishmael Reed, who asked you? No, he was talking about when he he was talking about creative writing, mm-hmm. not, it, not not film, screen. not film, not film. Oh, he said it's separate. Okay. Oh, definitely. Going into a creative writing program is a whole lot different than going into a film program. De- uh, yeah, because I mean, there's production, there's criticism, um, and there is pro- uh, production. I just said that right. And screenwriting. There's some other stuff I can't remember. But um, so I chose the screenwriting track. And that lasted a year. Let's take a short break and then we'll come back and we'll see what Terry did next. Terry McMillan, who asked you on Living Writers Today? We'll be right back.
Welcome back. If you're just joining us, I'm glad you did. Today on WCBN FM, Ann Arbor, Terry McMillan is here. Um, Terry, thanks for thanks for coming by today to do the show. Oh, you're welcome. That's you know what? Let's talk again. Maybe we can talk again over the phone. You don't even have to come in person unless you. Well, miss I'm the here dates. now. What's wrong? What's wrong? No, no. I was just you're right. I was just looking into the future too much. Inspired to look into Be the future. Here now, as they say. <laughs> That's true. That's a good. Thank you. I'm gonna think about that today. Um, City Lights Bookstore. Yeah, San, San Francisco. Francisco. Yeah. I was there a few days ago. Well, I lived in the Bay Area for 25 years. Oh, 25. Okay. From 1990 to 2012, however many years that is. How did you ever leave? I got out of a big giant house that I didn't need anymore. Yeah, so that's its own. But I was just there during the um, America's Cup, which is amazing. The, so you saw some of the races? No, and I didn't see the races, but I saw a lot of sailboats. I mean, I used to see them anyway, mm. but not like this. Mm. It was amazing. It was beautiful. Plus the new Bay Bridge. They have a new bridge. Um, and it's taken about 300 years to build it, but it's beautiful. It was so nice. And I just left Pittsburgh where they have this giant duck, inflatable duck in the water. That, that's, that's, doesn't, it's that's four feet tall and it's going all over the world. For what reason is it? To talk I have yet to figure it out. Something about it's art. It looks just like the little duckies you buy in the store in the and put in the bathtub, except it's four stories high. Oh. Like, and people just ride by it. But it makes you laugh. So That's they, good, They actually. need to put one in Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah. They could use a little laughter there. Yep. And actually some rolling up of the sleeves a little bit. Let's skip the subject. Some getting along. I know. I saw you were tweeting about it. <laughs> Um, okay, well, back to the book. Let's talk structure for just a second. So when these voices come to you, are you are you rearranging some of them at different points? Or as you're drafting it, Terry, is it sort of staying as the, um, as the chapters are now? Like when you're doing your production, as you're crafting the book? As I'm crafting the book... Um, or as you're writing the book. Yeah. Well, my process is a little more organic because mm -hmm. I write a first draft very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And usually it doesn't change the structure. Mm -hmm. um, okay. I don't, I mean, in this case, I didn't know there were going to be 15 characters, 15 different characters. I mean, 15 different points of view. I knew that, I mean, I went to Paris in 2011 for a month. And I was just at the beginning stages of the story. I had started that opening I read. Almost every time I write a book, the opening stays the same. Rarely does it. It's never changed. My opening is always the same. Um, it's sort of like that's my entree into the story. I, I, I know this is how someone has open, put a welcome mat and said, okay, this is the way you enter. And you trust that. You know to yeah, trust that. Yeah, I trust that. it. Yeah, I trust it. Um, and also... You know, I write very fast. Um, I believe in, I mean, I've taught for years, and one of the things that I taught my students is that, you know, you write with your heart and your gut. And you don't edit yourself. You edit with your brain. Save that for later. 
because it takes a certain kind of an intelligence to go back and be self-critical and all that. And if you do that, then you, it's called literary masturbation. You'll never get anywhere. You'll never be able to tell your story. Or and you, it, you'll shut it down. Well, yeah. I mean, because you're already editing and rewriting when you should be just writing. And so it was doing it this way that I discovered inadvertently, which is how to me is the best way, um, that each of these characters had a voice and they had something to say. And I didn't know that the principal, the social worker, um, even the husband, as much as little as he said, but I just knew that everybody had a point of view. And in order to see how that point of view affected my main character, she had to be in every cha- any cha- in every chapter, but and there was always going to be interaction between her and the point of view character. But at the same time, it would have to fuel the story forward. So that took a little doing, but that was the only way I could tell the story. It really was because of the story that I knew that I wanted to tell. And so I just wrote it quickly. And then I realized, oh, Omar is going to say something. Omar is tripping. This is who he really is? And I'm like, whoa, let him tell it. You know, because his mother got on my last nerve. I couldn't stand her. Um, How do you? Yes. And that's Arlene. Oh. So, sorry to bring you brought it up. Can I say a bad word? She was a bitch. Well, and well, Ugh. but I think that's. But she needed to be in the story because she's Betty Jean's sister, right? Like yeah, she has a place. She's Miss Know It All. You know, and plus everybody, everybody, everybody. I mean, the thing that I like about t- writing in first person is people have secrets. People have things that they are ashamed of that they don't want to share. And they don't know who to share it to, with. Um, but writing in first person, you as a reader are privy to some of this stuff. Things that people are ashamed of, um, that they wish they didn't know. All kinds of stuff. Or even the most casual of thoughts that, like, you know, the, ra- yeah. Yeah. That make us who we are. Yes. And that, that's why I love first person. I love it. And 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 each character, they all have their own voices. You know, I mean, an eight-year-old doesn't sound like Arlene. And there's a tonal quality to their voices, the language that they use, um, just the rhythm of it. And it's not that hard once you know who your character is and what makes them tick and what they're hiding and what they feel. Then you let them tell it. And, and I stay out of the story. I'm not in it. I'm just sort of like this conduit. I just, I'm transcribing. I'm writing what they're saying, what they see, how they feel. And that's, and then I look up and it's the end. And then I realize when I go back, oh, you could have done more of this. You could have said this better, whatever. And then I go back and tweak. Okay. How long? So you said very fast for the first draft. What does that mean? And then you look up and it's the end. What's that like? And was it during that month in Paris? Did you produce the no, whole first draft? Or? No, that's when that's when I basically, I mean, the structure because I was like I knew the story, but I didn't know. After writing 
almost the first chapter. I just, I had to figure out. Because this, this story, the way I'm telling, it was a little different than other stories. And I knew I wanted to be democratic. Okay? In that the people that this my main character came in touch with, I wanted to be able to show both sides of the coin. And so in order to do that, I realized that's when I had like this epiphany over an espresso at a cafe, people watching and listening to the music under my earphones. This is, I mean, it really, I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. This is how it hit me. I was like, and then the fear was like, how in the hell am I going to do this? And then I didn't know that there were 15 characters, but I knew I wanted to tell it from the kids' point of view because they rarely get a chance to speak for themselves. You don't hear what they feel or what they think unless they are badgered. And even then, sometimes they aren't honest because they know an adult is asking them. And if they say the wrong thing, you know, so this way I got a chance to get inside of a kid's head. Luther and Ricky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the long and short of it is that's how it came about. So it took me in all till uh, not quite a year to write a draft. Um you know, because I was there for a month and I really didn't write that much. Um there are a few characters that I I worked on my character um what I call my character, my biographies, because I do these real extensive portraits of my characters. And um, and do parts of it make it into the novel, Terry, or is it more it's for you so that you really know them? No, it's just for me to really know them. I mean, I know what size shoe they wear, what their favorite color is, if they're allergic to anything, if they lie, if they cheat. How many times they've been in love? Do they like their parents, their siblings, um, their astrological sign, um, what their weaknesses are, um, what it is they wish they could change about their lives, what their biggest problem is right now, what their biggest secret is, um, something they would never tell anybody, but I get to find out. (laughs) You seem so open as a, a a writer so open like do you ever try to strong arm any of the characters no no because then that would make me god and i'm not trying to be god i i believe that fiction is an opportunity to allow what i would what i ha- hate to say but call them three-dimensional characters who i refer to as human beings <laughs> um who have real problems, deal with them in a realistic way and try to just to deal with them in a realistic way. And I will write about characters that I don't understand or that I I don't necessarily like in some cases, but that have problems that I probably would never have or wouldn't be in a position that I put them in. And so... When in this case I put them all together, there's this like this 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 panoramic thing that goes on, and there's this interaction between these characters, and they sort of 
feed off of each other and they butt heads and all kinds of stuff. And there you have the plotless novel. Thank you, Terry McMillan. You're welcome. <laughs> You're lovely. <laughs> thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks um, thanks to Michelle Pernia for bringing Terry here. Thanks to our studio audience, Asia and Kay. Thanks to Tex for Engineering. Thanks to all you out there for listening. Many, many thanks to Terry McMillan, M- McMillan her latest Who Asked You, a novel. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. Thank you.
yard. Robinson under center. He'll give it to Fitz Tucson. He pushes forwards. Touchdown, Wolverines. That's the first one of the year. The sack to Carter. He looks to his left and pressure. Brandon Heron will intercept the ball, and now he's rumbling down the sideline. Brandon Heron's still on his feet. There he goes. The 45. Now the other 45. Brandon Heron is going to take it to the house. Touchdown, Brandon Heron. Coast to coast, and that's the way a good defense does it. Michigan takes the lead. Hello out there, you are listening to 88.3 WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Mike Lewandowski and this is the Daily Sports Report for this Wednesday, October 30th. It was the night before Halloween and in the other side of the glass this evening I have Andrew Hausman and Zach Shaw. And guys, we've got a, a lot of things in sports going on as well. This is the one time of the year, it started last night, uh, where the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NFL, and the NHL are all playing at the same time. Uh, that can only happen for a, a couple nights and only if uh, Major League Baseball's playoffs go long enough uh, to 